we planned on meeting tonight, but hey, um, 2020 isn't quite going how we planned on it going, is it? So this is, uh, this is different. We're just going to try it out, see if it works. Um, and this is what you get when uh, the COVID hits you last minute, you know? Got to be careful with that Rona. So um, I hear the chats are lively. Everyone uh, chatting and stuff in the chat? Chat your chats in the chat. Yeah? All right. Well, guys, we can't do any worship tonight because our worship team has corona, and that's okay. Um, you can worship by yourself after this to your third day CD or whatever worship album you prefer. And that's great. So we're just going to start off with announcements. So just a couple announcements, guys. Um, one is offering. Uh, we, we still need the offering. So if you could give, uh, that would be great. If you have a bucket in your house, just put it by the door and drop your money in that bucket. And then on your way out the door, take that money out of the bucket and bring it to the next Chi Alpha where we meet in person. And you'll feel like you're here. It's practically the same thing. Or if you like, you can just scan the QR code that should be on your screen right now with your fancy iPhone that I'm sure that is awesome. Or not. Who knows? Uh, also, coming up, guys, is Missions Week, of course, which is super exciting. And uh, I'm pumped for it. Um, got off the phone with a couple missionary friends that are coming, and they are beyond excited. I can't, can't tell you how much fun this is going to be. And we'll get the schedule out as we get closer. And actually, tonight we were going to debut a video of one of the missionaries that is coming. But since it's online and we can't really do the whole protection thing, we can't do that. So we're going to have to double up like next week or the week after whenever it's safe for us to meet together again. Um, so just stay tuned for that. Or, you know, find me on campus and I'll show you the video on my phone um, because that would be fun. Also, speaking of missions, let's not forget the missions offering. Guys, you all are giving so much already. Um, we're taking up that offering on November 10th, but we, we've already... We're already like over a fifth of the way to our goal. Like, that's amazing. You guys have given over $1,300 already. And um, yeah, so keep giving. Don't forget, like, just all it takes is sacrificing Whataburger one time a week between now and then, and, and we'll be able to give over $5,000 to missions. Isn't that incredible? Like, it's going to be so cool. And yeah, so... That's it for announcements, and this is really awkward. We thought about putting, like, game show music here, but uh, that's just stupid, so we're not going to do that because I love you, and I don't want to waste your time. But uh, anyway, guys, so um, if you have your Bibles and if you're meeting together, go ahead and open up those Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, or we should have it on the screen for you. So this is like, we're talking about the prodigal son, right? The, one of the more famous parables in the entire Bible. And I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest, to talk about this, because who hasn't talked about the prodigal son? And there's people that are way better preachers and way more godly than I that have preached on this thing. And if you listen to me after, you know, after we're done, you're like, that wasn't great, Scroggins, but I love you. I agree. That wasn't great, but uh, you can always go and find it. Um, I think probably the best take on this, G. Campbell Morgan. If you want to look him up, G. Campbell Morgan, 
prodigal son or the father heart of God, incredible. You can probably find it on the internet somewhere or in a book. And uh, also, Tim Keller has an awesome take on this called The Prodigal God, which is uh, worth reading as well. So anyway, that should give you enough time. So we're going to go ahead and read. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant land, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because your, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would soften hearts and unstop ears, Lord, so that we can hear and learn what you want us to learn tonight. Lord, I pray that... Um, you would change our hearts and change our minds as you see fit. We give you the right to be our God and our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, when I was a kid, right, this is going to be, this is really stupid to share on the internet, but here we go, right? When I was a kid, like, we're talking six or seven, really young, for whatever reason, I really, really, really wanted to be a ventriloquist. I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world was to be a ventriloquist. And so I would, like, practice, like, throwing my voice and stuff like that or put a sock on my hand and try and talk. And I just thought ventriloquism was the coolest thing, you know. And I remember one time we went to the Texas State Fair with, like, my family. All of us went. And it was awesome. And they had this one booth. You know the booth where they sell, like, just, like, cheap stuff for, like, $100, you know, like something you can find for $4 in that, you know, dollar Target bin, but they sell it for 100 
Well, they had like some puppets there that were like pretty cool, and one had like a stick so you could move his hand, and I wanted one so bad. It was like this cool-looking dog thing, and I remember just being crushed when I asked my parents if we could buy it, and they said no. And like seven-year-old Scroggins like cried, like cried. I was just broken, devastated, right? And then months and months later, along comes Christmas slash my birthday, and like I open all my presents, it was really cool, and then from around the corner, my parents brought out that puppet thing that I wanted, and I was just overjoyed. It's like one of my fondest Christmas memories, right? It was just awesome. Like, I got that thing that I wanted, right? And then, as I was playing with it, I realized I'm not good at ventriloquism, and there's not a whole lot you can do with a puppet. Like, nobody wants to sit around and talk to Scroggins and his puppet. You know what I mean? Like, that's just weird. And makes me wonder about the mental health of ventriloquists overall. But anyway, I, I quickly found out that the thing that I wanted wasn't that great. You know what I mean? Like, it just wasn't very cool. And yeah, so sometimes we get these things that we, we think we want, but in reality, it's not really what we want, right? And I think that's kind of similar to the story of the prodigal son. But before we dive in and try and figure out how my weird personal moment about wanting to be a ventriloquist applies to one of the greatest parables of all time, um, I want to talk a little bit about, you guessed it, context, right? So, yeah, anyway. So we're in the Gospel of Luke, and that means our spiciness graph applies. So, again, we're in chapter 15, so Jesus is about halfway on his journey to Jerusalem, so he's, he's a little bit spicy. You know, he's over halfway spicy which is kind of nice, and uh, yeah, so we can see a little bit of frustration in Jesus's responses here um, in chapter 15, so we're kind of on that upward trend here with Jesus's um, punchiness, spiciness, right, and so yeah, that gives us a little bit of context, but I want to dive into a little bit more of the context that's happening in chapter 15 here, right, so if you have your Bibles open, you can go to uh, chapter 15, verse 1, you see that Jesus is hanging out with just anyone that wants to hang out, right? And it says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him, eats with them, you know? And so Jesus is super frustrated here, right? The the Pharisees and the scribes, all the really important people that think that they know what this whole thing is about are upset because Jesus isn't sticking to their game plan, right? He's not doing what they think he should be doing. He's hanging out with these rejects where Jesus should be hanging out with them. Does that make sense? And Jesus, like hearing this and perceiving this, he tells three parables, right? The first parable he tells is the parable of the lost sheep. That's right. Thanks, JL. Good answer. I know you're answering. So uh, the parable of the lost sheep, right? And so in this parable, he talks about leaving the 99 and going to seek and find that one lost sheep, right? And then the next parable down is the parable of the lost coin, where a woman loses like a day's worth of wages in coins, which get a piggy bank or something or a jar or something, but she loses them. And then she searches her whole house finds them, and then has a party when she finds them, right? And that's awesome. And then the third parable is the prodigal son, right? 
And we have to take all of these in context to one another because they help us understand. Jesus just fires them off one after the other. There's no break in between, at least not from the language that I see in my Bible, right? And so we also have to remember that these parables aren't telling us about where we fit in the story, but how Jesus fits in the story and how the kingdom applies to Jesus. Does that make sense? And it's helping us understand him, not necessarily us. That doesn't mean that we can't pull stuff out for us, but it's more about him than it is about us, right? And, and you can write that down. That's like a good idea. Anyway, also, the last thing that I noticed as I was studying this parable is that Jesus, he's kind of a brilliant storyteller. Like, he, he does this thing where I think he's playing with one of the expectations and tropes in the Bible, right? If, if you can remember back to Sunday school, or if you haven't been to Sunday school, I'll help you out. Um, in the Old Testament, the beginning part of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there's like these people called patriarchs, right? And three of them, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, were the younger brothers, right? And that's important because culturally, the younger brothers would receive less inheritance and be less favored than the older brothers. But for some reason, God just really liked to subvert that and invert that and flip it around to where Isaac's older brother, Ishmael, wasn't favored by God, or Jacob's older brother, Enoch, wasn't favored by God, and Joseph's, like, 11 older brothers weren't favored. He was, right? All these younger brothers were the ones that were highly favored by God and blessed by God. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, I'm, I'm convinced that the listeners being scribes and Pharisees, the people that knew this stuff, they memorized this stuff, this was their vocation, uh, I'm convinced that they were listening and thinking, oh, okay, the younger brother, I need to pay attention to him. But then we see that he's not favored by God at all in the story. The, the prodigal son, the younger brother, is actually really stupid and really selfish. And Jesus is like playing with their expectations to get them to stay engaged. It's, it's just brilliant. I don't know if there's like a theological statement to be made here, but it's definitely something, a trick that Jesus is using to help us stay engaged with the story, which is really cool, right? So let's talk about that younger brother, right? Let's talk about, let's talk about the prodigal son. So contextually in that culture, um, you would not receive the inheritance of your father until after he was dead, Right? And so what he essentially said to his father was, you're dead to me, right? And you, I mean, that's something cross-culturally, like that's something you don't even need to adjust for. Like, I don't know how many of you have said you're dead to me to your fathers, but it's probably not a great thing. You probably didn't like follow that up with a big hug, you know? Uh, that's not something that you should say. And this is obviously a huge insult, right? But doubly so because the culture of the ancient Near East at that time, and even to a degree this modern age, is a culture that we would say is shame and honor based. Where it was a big deal to shame someone, and it's a big deal to maintain the honor of your family. And so what this son did is he grievously shamed his father in front of everyone. The whole town would have known. Because in order to give his son his portion of the inheritance, he would have had to sell some of his land and his property. And everybody would have known. Like, hey, Bill, why are you doing this? 
Oh, because my son said he's dead to me and wants his portion, right? And the crazy thing is, is that the father could have disowned him. He could have ran him out. He could have run him off. He could have, like, hit him with a big stick or whatever. But no, the father gave him what he wanted, right? We have the generosity of the father's heart being revealed in this moment, right? So the son declared to his father that he wanted a life without money. All right, he, or I'm sorry, he wanted a life with money. He wanted a life with all of the possessions, all the belongings, but no father. And the father, being a good father, gave him what he wanted. So the prodigal son got exactly what he wanted. And this is actually a really common theme in the Bible. One of the, the best examples I can think of is if you flip back to the book of Esther, there's the, the antagonist, the bad guy, is a guy named Haman, the Agagite, which is, we'll just go with Haman, right? And Haman built a huge gallows, like 50 feet high, giant gallows, to hang all of the Jews from because he just hated the Jews, right? But if you read the story, you know, by chapter 7, it all wraps up, and you see that Haman was hung on the gallows that he built. And there's this theme in the Bible, this common trope of, of just where the Lord will give you what you want, but the thing that you want is the very thing that destroys you, right? And, and we can unpack that later. But oftentimes, the judgment of God just comes in that form, right? The judgment of God comes in the form of him just giving you what you want, and so the prodigal son shows what he wants, a life with money and no father, right? If you need a, a more real-world example, I mean, we can all think of that one friend we had that all he wanted was a hot girlfriend, you know? Like, he just wanted a hot babe to date or marry or whatever. And then once he, like, started dating that hot girl, like, he didn't care about you, right? We, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we've all had that friend, right, where he just stopped talking to you, stopped hanging out with you. He got his girl he can make out or whatever, and, and now he's done being your friend, right? Well, I can tell you at this point in my life, having walked this earth for a couple years, I've run into those friends before, after. And you know what? They're all lonely because they got what they wanted, a life with a hot girlfriend or hot wife, but no friends, nothing else. And that's actually kind of an empty life right? And that's honestly one of the most terrifying things about God to me is that he respects you enough to honor your choices no matter how destructive they are. And if you choose a life without him, he'll give you a life without him. But that life without him becomes the very thing that destroys you. And just like Hamar, you find, or Haman, you find yourself hanging from the gallows that you built. And we can see clearly from this parable that the prodigal son shows us like that no amount of pleasure or money or power or whatever will fill that void that he gave himself, right? He removed the good father from his life and then tried to fill it with Jesus quotes, wild living, and it just didn't work. 
Before you know it, he's starving and empty and dying just to eat some pig slop. And then, you know, oftentimes we read this parable and we just focus on the prodigal son. But there's like three main characters in here, right? And so I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the elder son as well. See, the elder son got the same treatment as the prodigal son. It's just a little bit more subtle. We can tell by what the elder son does and how he acts and how he interacts with everyone, how he speaks to his father, that he loved his father just as little as the older son. Right? He wanted to be seen as the dutiful son, the one that does the right thing, the one that is always correct socially and, and never steps out of line because he wanted to get his reward. He wanted to be seen as the right person, as the better brother, right? And so he falls into the trap of comparing himself to his brother and seeing himself as the good and dutiful son because his brother was such a wild, stupid kid. And in the end, we see that's exactly what he got. He got to be the one that stood on that foolish, misguided principle of doing what was culturally right and doing what was correct, but being divorced from his father and missing the complete heart of who his dad was. He did the right thing by not welcoming in the insulting and shameful young brother, but in being correct, he actually, he actually lost sight of what was truly right. Like, he couldn't even bring himself to celebrate his brother's return. And to drive this point home even more, like, when, in that time when somebody left and went to a foreign country, like, there was no FaceTime. You know, there, there was no, there weren't even, like, carrier pigeons, right? You didn't hear from them. He was as good as dead. And his brother came back for all intents and purposes, from the dead. And he couldn't celebrate. He was mad that his brother came back from death. If that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. I mean, look at what he says. He says to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In effect, he said, where is my reward? Give me my inheritance. Give me what is due. How is that different than what the young brother did? It's not. And it just shows that he never really loved his father at all. Just like his younger brother. And also we can see in his response to his father, that he worked under an expectation of reward. Do you remember a couple parables ago when we talked about grounds versus conditions? Here's another case. He's standing on the grounds of his accomplishment, saying, I slaved for you. I never disobeyed you. So give me what is mine. But the younger brother learned something while he was away. Right? He learned humility. And so he came back and his attitude was one of a humble servant. 
And he said, Father, what are the conditions for me to be a part of the family again? Did you catch that? And again, we see God is drawing lines that we would never draw. Again, he's drawing the lines between the humble and the proud. And here's the real difference between the two brothers. While they were both dumb and short-sighted and didn't really love their father, one was humble enough to learn, and the other was too proud to learn. But do you remember, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that structure of Hebrew thought called chiasm, right? And how you have three points, or an odd number of points, and that middle one is the key. Well, in this parable, the middle person in the story is the father. And he is the person that we need to focus on the most here. So, so the father in this story, I mean, it, it's clear as day, at least it should be, that he shows what God is really like. He's revealing the heart of our father in heaven. He's revealing the purpose of Jesus on earth. You see, he was... He was the one going out onto the hills and searching for his lost son. He wasn't just staying at home, cold and distant, waiting for his son to come back with the right attitude. No, he was out there longing for his son, searching for him. And if we put it in light of the other parables that this is coupled with, the lost sheep and the lost coin, we see that that wasn't just a, well, I'm going to go walk to the fence and look. No, he was out wandering the hills because his father... The father saw the prodigal son from a long way off. More than that, when the son approached, he ran to him, which is something that, that noblemen and, and people of rank never did. That wasn't something you did. That was something for the humble people to do. If I wanted to get somewhere fast and I was a person of means, man, I, I ride a horse. I don't run like a peasant, you know? And another thing we see is that he had servants with him that were ready to present the prodigal son with all of the tokens of being a member of the family. He had the robe ready. He had the signet ring ready. He commanded that the fattened calf be, be prepared. That tells me that every night, as he was longing for his son's return, he would go out to those hills and he's carrying the family robe and the sandals and, and the ring that shows that you're a member of that family. And he's just wandering the hills looking for his son, ready to bring his son back, ready to welcome his son back. And then in his treatment of his older son, his older son was clearly as distant in his heart as the younger son was in space and time from him. But he never drove his eldest son away. He clearly would have seen that attitude. There's no way you could miss an attitude like that. But here he is, keeping that older son close, waiting for that moment to be able to share and say, son, you had it wrong. You're, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. His elder son just missed the point. But he was always close.
And that, that reward, that, that carrot of approval that the elder son found himself working and striving for, it was his all along. He never withheld anything from him. His older son just never asked. So here's the bottom line. The father's reaction to both of his sons reveals one truth. The place where they truly belonged and the place where everything they wanted actually resided was the same place. It was with their father. And notice, it's not from their father, but with their father. Because that, that belonging that we all feel in our hearts, that, that desire for something fulfilling that I looked for in ventriloquism, that other people look for in relationships, it's with our Father in heaven. It's in the person of Jesus, not separate from him. You see, that gift that we're all seeking, that inheritance that we all want, is found in the person of Jesus, not from the person of Jesus. So I wanted to keep this quick and short because, I mean, you're watching on a computer screen and this has got to feel something like a Zoom call, which I think is what purgatory is like. But we're bringing this to a close. And I felt like this, this story of one of my favorite poets, and I think I've talked about him before, Francis Thompson, he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. And you can, you can Google it and read the whole thing. It's incredible, and I, I encourage you to read it and just spend some time thinking about it. But Francis Thompson was an opium addict. He spent his life running from God, the majority of his life running from God, and he, he had this incredible gift of language. He would, like, dig through trash bins because he was sleeping on the banks of the River Thames in London, and he would dig through trash bins for paper, and he'd write poetry, and then he'd send it to newspapers. And every newspaper in London was saying, Hey, there's one greater than Milton, John Milton among us. The next Shakespeare's out there, and we don't know who he is. There's no return address on these envelopes. Well, eventually he meets Jesus after wasting his life on women and drugs. And he writes this poem called The Hound of Heaven about how he was the prodigal son. But he wasn't just wandering in the wilderness. He was actively fleeing. From God. And the hound of heaven is the sound of Jesus constantly pursuing him as he tries different things to fulfill himself. At the end of the poem, the hound of heaven finally catches up to him and he's too tired and, and he's exhausted every avenue that he could think of. And that hound of heaven speaks to him in this moment. Right at the end, this is like the last stanza of the poem. And Jesus says to him, All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou mightst seekest it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies is lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. Halts by me that footfall. Is my gloom after all shade of his hand outstretched caressingly? And then Jesus says, Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, 
I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. All of those things that we seek, we really find our ultimate desire and fulfillment in Jesus. See, what Francis Thompson realizes is that all along, all along he was seeking God. He was looking to return to the home of his father. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. I have stored for thee all the things that you've, you've longed for at home. So in those moments, when you find yourself fleeing from your father, running from his door into lands unfamiliar, being enslaved by citizens of countries that you don't belong to, see, those are the moments when everything, that, that morsel of pleasure turns to ash in your mouth. That's the Lord doing you a favor. And he's saying, I have stored up this pleasure, this real pleasure, at home with me. Turn around, come back. I'll put the robe around you. I'll put the ring on your finger. I'll put the sandals on your feet and we will celebrate. See, the father let the prodigal son leave. He let the elder son work for his own selfish pride, but he never drove them away. They drove themselves away. He allowed the elder son to continue working just so that he would be near. And when that older son realized the stupidity of his ideas about his father, his father was right there. No harsh words, just love. The father allowed that prodigal son to leave. But like the hound of heaven, he followed and pursued him. So when he had exhausted himself trying to fill that hole in his life that he created by leaving his home, the father was right there the moment he turned around to welcome him home. And that's what our father is like. Those moments when we feel so distant, He's just waiting for us to turn around. And for anyone that is watching that maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you're afraid to turn around, I can tell you that fear is ungrounded and it's unfounded. Sure, there might be some older brothers in the room or in your life that scoff, but those are the ones that are standing outside of the party and have misunderstood the heart of their father. But your father, he's waiting for you. And he has all of the trappings of being a part of his family in his arms, waiting to clothe you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us remember the goodness of your heart the kindness of who you are. Lord, that when we, f we fled you, Lord, down the highways, Lord, into parts unknown, into places we shouldn't be, into self-destructive habits, Lord, into places that we knew were wrong, that you were always right there seeking us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to turn around in those moments. Lord, to put your robe back around our shoulders.
Lord, to exchange bondage in a foreign country for sonship in our home country. And Lord, I pray that we would beware the attitude of the older brother, Lord. That we would never scoff when someone turns around. No matter how insulting it may be to our sensibilities. But we would recognize that this is reason to celebrate. Lord Jesus, bless the time as we gather in our small groups at our homes or socially distanced out on the internet or whatever. Speak to us, change us. Let us continue to live out the principles of your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, this was fun, if not a little awkward. And we'll be together as soon as we can. And uh, yeah, stay safe, guys. We love you. We'll see you soon.